Father in heaven, thank you so much for this Sabbath day, this chance to be here, the chance to open your word, and for the season that we find ourselves in. Lord, speak to us, show us your will in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to jump in with a text, Acts chapter 13, and this is our key text today, and it's really a fairly short and contained little passage here, but there's a lot in this that I hope you'll see as we go. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So this is actually a rather profound little passage. It's just a short little piece here. And then it goes on with the story of what happened. But, but this is highly significant because this moment marks a new reality in the spreading of the Christian faith. Now, a couple of things come to my mind as, as, we, as we look at this. On the one hand, this was inevitable because God said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So, so the Lord had said this is going to happen. But yet here's the thing. Even inevitable things in the context of God's will still have moments where God's people are faithful to his call that bring about that outcome that he said was going to come. And at the moment, it doesn't always seem obvious. To us, we look back at the story, we think, well, yeah, obviously they needed to go and do this. But at the time, Sometimes these come as revelations to us, and they're surprising. And so the Spirit said, go. So on the one hand, it was inevitable, but on the other hand, the decision they made in that prayer meeting that day changed the world. Now, a couple questions come to my mind in the context of this. Number one, why was the prayer meeting that changed the world in Antioch, not Jerusalem? Ever think about that? It's kind of strange that it happened in Antioch and not Jerusalem. Number two, why were the ones sent on this missionary journey not actually one of the twelve? It's not the disciples, is it? It's Barnabas and Saul. Well, I want to suggest to you there's a complex answer to it, and we'll try to deal with a little bit of that, but, but there's also a simple answer, I think, and that simple answer goes like this. Christianity is about Jesus, not about a certain holy people or a certain holy place or certain holy leaders. Now, let me unpack that for you for just a second here. You see, Christianity is about Jesus, and yes, there were the 12 who were the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, and that was important, and they had an important role, but they weren't the only holy people. It wasn't about waiting around for the 12 to tell us what to do next. Because Jesus said, if I go, the Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will be with all of you. No longer is it a holy people located in a holy place. Now everyone that believes has become a part of this holy family of God. And there is no such thing in Christianity 
as the holy place. Because the Spirit of God dwells inside the believers, and when the believers gather, anywhere they gather becomes the holy place. So it's not about waiting on Jerusalem to give us the final word. It's about the Spirit of God working in the hearts of anyone who will listen. Now, let me just as an aside on this, there is always the temptation for us to decide that a certain place is the holy place and to decide that certain people are the holy people. And if you look at the history of Christianity, that's exactly what happened, right? A decision was made that, okay, we're going to call Rome the holy city and we're going to choose the leader there as the holy person. It's not healthy. But i got to warn you, that impulse is the same in us. We have that same tendency because trusting the Spirit on our own and, and working together can be complicated and difficult and just plain not fun sometimes. We talked about this a little bit last night at our agape communion when we talked about divisions and, and how hard we're trying to be a united people of God. It's hard. But we can't take shortcuts. We can't go down that route. Christianity is about Jesus. But let me give you more detail now about Antioch. And we talked about this two weeks ago, and I'll go back and review just briefly. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that's the the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now, to really appreciate those three verses, you have to understand the context in which these three verses happen. So we go all the way back to the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church is born in Jerusalem. And the prophecy, Jesus says to them that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The church begins in Jerusalem. But here's the thing. In the earliest days of the church, they didn't perceive themselves as something completely new. They perceived themselves as a sect of Judaism. They were a piece of Judaism. And they're in Jerusalem, and they're surrounded by Jews, and mostly at this point, it's just Jews who are believing. And yes, it's beginning to spread in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, it grows to a few thousand, and then it grows beyond that. And then you have the story where it starts to spread into Judea, and in fact, you get the story where some Samaritans begin to believe. But it's still all contained within that context of traditional Jewish Yahweh belief until chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And chapter 10 of the book of Acts is the story of Peter. We actually had a whole sermon on this, I think, about a year ago. The story of how Peter encounters Cornelius. You see, an angel appears to the Roman centurion, Cornelius, and says, send for Peter, he has a message for you. And then, and then God prepares Peter, he lowers that sheet with the unclean beasts in it, and he says, kill and eat. And Peter's like, ah, I could never do that, that would be horrible. But he has the vision three times, and he's pondering it, and as he's pondering the notion of clean and unclean, the, the Gentiles appear at the door and say, our master Cornelius has called for you. 
And because of the vision, Peter goes with them. But even when he gets there, he's still functional in his Jewish mindset because he walks into the house and he says, hey, you know I'm not really supposed to be here. That's his opening line. He says, but God has told me to not call anything unclean that he's made clean. So what in the world is it that you want from me? And Cornelius says, well, not that long ago I had a vision and the angel said, you had a message for me. And so Peter starts in and he tells him about Jesus. And something remarkable happens. Do you remember what it was? The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. Now that's shocking enough, but the second thing about it that makes it so totally shocking is so far the Holy Spirit has fallen on people, but it only happens after they've been baptized. They get baptized and then they receive the Holy Spirit. But now Peter's talking to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit falls on them before he baptizes them. Why does the Holy Spirit take the lead? Do you remember this? It's because in the mindset Peter had, he would have never baptized them because they weren't Jews. And so the Holy Spirit had to take the lead and show him, no, I have accepted them as they are. And then Peter makes the statement, he says, seeing that the Spirit has fallen on them the same way the Spirit fell on us, what is to keep us from baptizing them? They go ahead and baptize because the Spirit has already showed this is the way to go. So this is how the door gets open. But even now, still, there's this perception that, that, that Christianity is a sect of Judaism and you still have all of those other pieces. There's just a few of these exceptions on the edge. Well, then the persecution comes. Stephen bears his testimony and, and it results in them taking his life. And after that, a larger persecution breaks out under the leadership of who? A guy named Saul. In that part of the irony of the story, right? A guy named Saul. Persecution breaks out, and the result of that persecution is the happy little gathering in Jerusalem is broken up. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate it when hardship comes along and breaks up my happy gatherings. But the troubling part of this is that was a key moment in God's plan to spread the gospel to the world. Can you receive the possibility that what you perceive as a hardship and probably pray with all your heart against might sometimes in fact be God's purpose to take the gospel to the world? So it breaks up that little community that was so happy. And it says they went out to other places, but they only told the Jews about Jesus. They're still functional in that mindset. Do you see it? But there were some, it says, from Cyprus and Cyrene. Okay, Cyprus is an island just off the coast. There in the Mediterranean, just off the Middle East. Cyrene, does anybody know where Cyrene is? It's fascinating. It's actually in a region of modern-day Libya. It's North Africa. It was an important city on the coast of the Mediterranean in northern Africa. So these people had gathered to Jerusalem from these different places, learned about Jesus. Now they're sent out. If you were from Cyprus or Cyrene and you were Jewish, you also were very much versed in Greek culture. And as a result, they went out and they spoke to other Jews who were versed in Greek culture. But then they also did something else. They said, hey, let's just tell the Greeks too. Now, this is something that never occurred in the minds of those who were trapped in the notion that this is a sect of Judaism. They went out and they told the Greeks, and crazy thing, they believed. 
And they began to gather themselves in Antioch. There were a lot of factors working together that made this happen. There was the persecution after Stephen, as the irony of Saul was one of the persecutors. There was the fact that Peter had reached out, one of the 12, one of the reliable ones, had actually reached out and baptized a Gentile. Because if they'd started doing it before the brethren had accepted it, there would have been stress. And then there was the reckless believers who didn't know any better and just went out and told anybody about Jesus. Those things all worked together. Now, when Peter first baptized Cornelius, there was stress in Jerusalem, and he had to go back and explain what happened. And and at the end of it, they said, well, I guess God has decided to let Gentiles in. But after they started doing this again, then there was another round of stress. But I want to talk to you. Before we get to that, a little bit about this city of Antioch. So we're some 300 miles north or so, I think that's what you said, Les, right, of Jerusalem, straight up the coast there in what is modern-day Syria. One of the things we need to come to understand in life is that there are times and seasons for everything. And we need to not miss out on the season that we're in But we also need to not fail to let go of the season that has passed in order to embrace the season that has come. And this happens to places because sometimes there are certain things that one reality can achieve, but then the next step they can't. And I want to suggest to you the church had to be born in Jerusalem. But I also want to suggest to you there was no way it could go on to its next mission if it stayed centered in Jerusalem. Here's why I would suggest that. Jerusalem was a great place for the gospel to spread in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but it was a terrible place for it to go to the rest of the world because it was too trapped in its singular reality. And it took a new reality forming in Antioch for the church to start to view the future with new eyes. There's a good reason that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Because in Jerusalem, they were just a subset of the Jews. In Antioch, they became something new, something else, something more. A message to all flesh, not just one group. So there was a season for Jerusalem. And there was a season for Antioch. Now, just to show you how this happens even in our own time, This has been true about the Adventist church. Years ago, in the early days of the Adventist church, anyone that was any part of the church in any important role lived in one particular place, Battle Creek, Michigan. They were all right there. And everything important that was to happen happened there. If you ever want to have an amazing experience, go to the cemetery in Battle Creek, Michigan. Walk through the cemetery in Battle Creek, Michigan, and you will see everyone who was ever even remotely important in the history of the Adventist church. They're all there. 
But there's a very important thing to note. They're all there in the cemetery. <laughs> They're not all there in the church that's there today. In fact, if you go to the region that used to be nothing but Adventists, it's not anymore. There's still the church there. They're still doing good work there. In fact, somebody, did you notice in our list of transfers, somebody's transferring here from Battle Creek, Michigan. So there's still the church there. They're still doing good work. But it's not the center it was. It changed. Well, what did it change to? Well, for a while, it changed to Tacoma Park, Maryland. And Joyce knows about this. She was there in those days. Tacoma Park, Maryland. The General Conference was there. The seminary was there. The Review and Herald was there. The Columbia Union office was there. The, uh, the, the, the sanitarium. My wife, Alicia, was born in the sanitarium as well as her father right there in Tacoma Park area. Um, you had Sligo Church. You had Columbia Union College. You had Tacoma Park Church. This was ground zero of Adventism. Everything that mattered happened there. You know what you find if you go there today? It's different. The General Conference is gone. They moved out to Silver Spring. The Review and Herald isn't even a thing like it was before. The seminaries in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Uh, the churches are still there, but they've changed into different kinds of things. The university's still there, but it's changed into a different kind of thing. The, the hospital even moved. There are seasons. Don't hang on too long. Embrace the new season when it comes. There's even that reality here in the Orlando area, if you've been here long enough. The Orlando Central Church was really ground zero where everything got started here in Orlando. And then as things grew and as the, the little sanitarium grew to become Florida Hospital and later Advent Health and continued to grow, so did the community. And there, there was a season uh, where Crest played, a, a Memorial Church played a huge role. Uh, the Florida Hospital Church has had multiple seasons. It's in a new season right now. But it's had to let that go and embrace something else to enter the seasons that are at hand. Then the churches started to grow on the north side. Forest Lake happened, and then, then Markham Woods happened, and there's another church that's fairly new that is in its own season, the Spring Meadows Church. There are seasons, and there are amazing things that God does. He gathers us into these places for seasons. But we have to embrace the season we're in without hanging on to what has passed. It all starts with a gathering, and I, I want to walk you through some texts to see how the gathering took place in Antioch. So Acts chapter 11, verse 20, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, the, the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. All right, so, so the first group we get mentioned as gathering to Antioch were believers from Cyprus and Cyrene. So basically saying from different places in the, in the Roman Empire at that time. Well, let's go on. Verse 25. Oh, verse 22. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. So Barnabas becomes a part of the gathering. He's drawn in there by the Holy Spirit and by what's going on. And, and I might even also suggest that by a little potential discomfort from the brethren in Jerusalem as to exactly what's going on there. Barnabas, will you go up there and make sure that this is okay? So he goes. Verse 26. Oh, verse 
25. Yes, verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So you see how this is going? You've got these, these believers who are willing to talk to Greeks that are there, and then Barnabas gets drawn in. Now Saul's been drawn into this place. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Then verse 27, and in those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. So God started drawing prophets to this place. You see how they're gathering? For what purpose were they gathering? Well, I want to suggest to you that one of the key purposes is what we started with over here in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now I just want to pause a second on that list because we're talking about prophets and teachers. And I want you to reflect for just a second on this list. God has drawn into this place these important teachers for this season. But I want you to notice in this list the diversity and variety. So first of all, we have Barnabas. He's a good Jew. He's the son of encouragement. He's from Cyprus, so he understand Greek, understands Greeks, but he's also a Levite, well-versed in the law. He's the reliable one. He's the one we can count on. He's the son of encouragement. God has brought him there. Then we have Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, there's a lot of speculation on this, and here's how that speculation goes. Niger is best translated as black. So there's a very distinct possibility that the reason he had that nickname was because he was Ethiopian or possibly something else drawn there, creating in Antioch diversity. Who else was there? Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene, I told you before, was from the north coast of Africa. Lucius was there. Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now this one shows that there was, there was also socioeconomic diversity in this group because Herod, he was the, the king, the Tetrarch over the region. And one of his buddies, one of the guys that grew up in favor and wealth, had come to believe in Jesus and was now a part of this group. You see what God built here? Isn't this an amazing group? And Saul. Who was Saul? Oh, he was the one that persecuted the church. That's right. Yeah, until the Damascus Road. And now he's in. Now he's part of it. Do you see how the Lord brought them? But why did he bring them? See, here's the thing. Gatherings are glorious. And the temptation when we're in the midst of a glorious gathering is to say, let's keep it this way forever. Let's just keep it us. These are the people I love, after all. Not them. Don't really love them. But you all, yeah. Let's keep it just us. That's not why. Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Chapter 3, verse 1. Do you remember this text? For everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Verse 5, 
figuratively says, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to gather people, but then also a time when they go out. That's really what this was all building up to. God was building a critical mass because the moment was coming when they needed to go back out the other way. And here it happens in verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. When did it happen? It happened in a prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit spoke to them in a prayer meeting. I want to let that be a challenge to us because sometimes we're so busy doing good we don't have time to gather together and pray. And that's great. Keep doing good. It's important to the gathered community that we do good. But sometimes we need to gather and listen for the Holy Spirit's leading. And the Holy Spirit led them while they were fasting and praying. He said, set these two apart because I've given them a special job. It's interesting because the dynamic here is actually very similar to what Jesus told them to do back in Acts chapter 1 while the church was just getting started in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 verse 4, this is Jesus talking to them before he leaves. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So the first piece is to gather and wait on the Lord. So what did they do? Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, what were they doing? Continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. So at the beginning of the church, they gathered, they prayed, and then Pentecost happened. And on that day then, they went out because now there were too many believers to get in that one room, weren't there? You see how gathering leads to sending? They gathered, they prayed, they were sent out, and the church grew. So what's the point? All right, here's the point. Gathering is good, but only if it leads to sending. Otherwise, gathering can become pretty ugly and can lead to us building walls that keeps anybody from getting in. So Jerusalem was gathered. The believers were gathered. Then they spread in the context they knew to spread amongst the Jews. And they got about as far as they could. And God said, great, this season is closing. I'm starting a new season in Antioch. And he took from Jerusalem the ones he needed there and brought them there. Oh, the, the work still went on there. I'm not, not downplaying it. It was still important. But there was a new day. And he brought the ones he needed to Antioch. And a new day of mission began. This is how it played out there. 
They set them aside. They traveled to Cyprus. They went to Turkey. That was their first trip. They learned a lot. They went on another trip. They split up into two groups. Now there's two groups going out. Who knows how many groups went out? And they changed the world. So how does this apply to us? Well, I think there's two applications we can draw. The first one is that we are in a season, and I would suggest to you we are entering a new season. We've had several seasons through the years that have had remarkable experiences and been characterized by amazing things and amazing people who've been a part of it. But if you'll remember the survey that we did a little while ago, about a year, year and a half ago, we did a survey of those attending. Over 50% of you have been here less than 10 years. It's a new day. It's a new congregation. And with the changes that we've had over the past few years in the staff, it's a new leadership team as well. And as much as we honor and love the seasons we've had, we cannot hang on to that season because that season has passed. And now we have to turn and embrace the season that is coming. What does it look like? Well, you never know for sure. You learn as you go. The Lord brings us, draws us together into this place for the new season. That's one of the ways. Here's another reality, just for fun, so that you get a sense of who we are in this whole idea of gathering. How many of you, and I'm only raising my hand as an illustration here, how many of you were literally born in Orlando and grew up here? Let's see your hands. Put them up high. Okay, not too bad. There's at least five or six or seven. Do you see the larger point? We've been gathered here for various reasons, by various things, but the Lord has put us here in this season. Chances are most of us aren't even going to stay all that long. It's a transient reality that we're here. This is a moment in time. This is a season that we are in. But here's the thing. If we do the work right when we gather, then when we are sent out, we don't just leave and grow cold. We go out as missionaries. We go out and we change the world. That's what we've got to be invested in in the season we have as we're here together in this time. Let me give you another example here. We just invested in this, uh, this new children's wing for the purpose that our children would grow up knowing Jesus and being very connected and committed to the life of this community. But we didn't do it because we expect our children to live with us the rest of our lives. We did it with the full realization that the majority of them will not spend the rest of their lives here. But instead will grow up in faith and go forth from this place and change the world wherever they go. They're gathered and then they're sent. That's how it's supposed to work. Okay, one more way. One more way relevant to us. Every one of us woke up this morning somewhere and made a decision, I'm going to gather at the Forest Lake Church. And here we are. We are gathered here. Maybe a few young people against their will, but most of us, by our own free will, are gathered in this place. But you know what? 
we're not going to stay here the rest of the week. That would be weird. In a little bit, I'm going to be done, and then they're going to come and sing a song, and then we're going to talk for a little bit, and then what are we going to do? We're going to go. We're going to go home. Some are ready now. We're going to go our way. We're gathered, and then we're sent, right? This is the point that Pastor Justin has been pushing on ever since he got here, that this is a glorious thing when we gather and worship, but it should impact the reality when we leave. What we do here shouldn't just happen here, and then we go out from here functional pagans. What happens here ought to build us up in a way so that when we go out, we go into the world on mission. And what is that mission? Well, we've expressed that mission this way here at the church, to live the gospel. To go out from here and live the gospel so that our lives reflect the love of Jesus in everything we do. That we carry the grace that we've received into every encounter we have. And that we are always ready in any moment to give a reason through testimony for the hope that is in our hearts. That's the reason we gather. And then when we go out, that's the purpose we go out with. It would be unhealthy if we spent all week in this room. It's healthy when we go out. So the purpose of gathering is to strengthen us for sending. The church at Antioch understood this. And because of them, the mission to the Gentiles went out. And because of that, we're here, the Gentiles. Are there any left? like the believers in, from Cyprus and Cyrene who, who are crazy enough to tell anybody about Jesus? Not just fellow Jews. I pray that that spirit is still alive in our hearts and that we will be powerful in this season like Antioch was in its season. Let's pray. Father in heaven, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We are gathered, now send us out with great hope and great courage and with the message of eternal salvation through Jesus. In his name, amen.